0: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our interview with i Familiars. Next week, we will be talking with their sister group, Little Possum Eyes, about their unique brand of spoken word spells. Coming up, a new episode of Forfend on C-L-E-E. Now on C-L-E-E, Forfend. Later. Elemental Basics, Spellcasting for Beginners, and more during this year's Celebration of Magic users.
1: This episode is sponsored by Mothman Learns the ABCs. Learning a human alphabet can be hard and boring. Teaching someone else can be even more so. Yet, with the help of Mothman Learns the ABCs, seeing and understanding the English language can be an enjoyable, colorful adventure. Join Mothman as he travels across West Virginia, makes friends, enjoys a variety of activities, and teaches readers and listeners in a durable, adorable, fun book. Written by Michael from the Moth Boys and illustrated by Danner from Conjure Designs, Mothman learns the ABCs is a delight for all ages, for those who love cryptids, art, learning, or all the above. Available now on Amazon and Etsy. Many strange creatures have suddenly appeared in our world, integrating into our environments, communities, and throughout time. What are they? How did they get here? What do they do? The Order of the Ballyraven has been commissioned to answer these questions and more. Created by the illustrious Kingdom of Neri from the neutral Fey Dominion of Order, the Ballyraven has interviewed those of the four realms, local flora, fauna, and even humankind to discover and understand these entities, their histories, and how they influence their surroundings. For better care of our fellow Telurians, this is a comprehensive study on elusive and fanciful beasts. Episode 3, Hidden Catapults Tonight on Forfind, the Order of Valeraven traps the Tamaltwatem and unearths its secrets. There was a big hole in the woods. It had always been there, as long as I could remember. Me and my sister would see it a lot when we played in the creek. Sometimes we'd throw things in it, but we never saw anything come out. Every couple of months, the hole would get a little bigger. Not by much, but enough to be noticeable. When I got a little older, when its size could swallow me up, I could feel a cool draft if I stood just right in front of it. Though we weren't afraid of being near it, we were afraid to go inside of it. Especially because it wasn't just a hole, but a tunnel. When we dared each other to get close, we could see the ground curved down deep into the earth. If I had the courage, I could have crawled in and stood up inside the tunnel, even the last summer I saw it when I was 14. The fact that it got bigger was not scary. It was close to water, and the bank overflowed every time it rained. Maybe the water washed out the dirt a little at a time. There were also a lot of wild animals around. They could have made the pit grow. It could have been a nest or a home. It could have been a dog. Dogs love to dig. It was a fun mystery we'd talk about. The part that did scare me was how the dirt looked in the tunnel. There were scratches all inside, long... Thin gouges, like the whole thing was dug by something with little fingers. At the entrance, though, there were other kinds of marks. It could have been my imagination, but it was almost as if something was pulled into the tunnel. Deep scratches and messy prints about a foot from the hole sometimes appeared. They reminded me of when a cat gets picked up by a little kid, and they hold on to the couch or the cat tree, trying to stay where they are. Soon, the weather and creek would wash these marks and thoughts away. One day we had a fight. I don't remember what it was about. I was so mad though. She carried around this little yellow toy from a kid's meal. She was very attached to it for some reason. I remember picking it up from the ground and throwing it in the hole, knowing we'd never see it again. We fought more and worse that day, and I felt a little bad afterwards. Before going home, I peered into the hole, standing closer than I'd ever stood before. But I couldn't see the little yellow thing anywhere. I didn't go in to look for it. I didn't feel that bad about it. The next week, we were back by the creek and on better terms. Walking by the hole, I saw something yellow in the leaves. It never mattered much before, but there were always strange things in front of the hole. Sometimes, there were piles of bright stones or berries, dead birds, tufts of animal hair. They were always gone the next time we were by, whether it was the next day or week. It was weird, but I always explained it away with the animals did it. This felt more off. I felt that tingle of fear in my spine, and I couldn't think of any words to say. I was scared. Seeing it there... I was too scared to move, and too scared to say so, because what if something was in that hole? Listening and waiting to come out? My sister saw it and started to run to grab it, laughing about how she knew I'd never throw her toy there, but I held her back, pretty sternly. I told her I was serious. Taking a long stick, I batted the toy close to us before picking it up. There were no teeth marks, scratches, anything on it. Maybe I overreacted, but we never played there again. I didn't want to be there ever again. It felt like something inside that tunnel wanted us to come close, and I still believe that. A few autumns later, I went by to see if the hole was there, if it had gotten bigger. I didn't see it, but it could have been covered up with leaves. Sometimes the hole or part of it would be hidden with them or debris from the creek. I have a hard time believing that it just disappeared. It's still there, somewhere. Submitted by Caitlin Osprey from Stockdale, Ohio.
0: Normally, the whooping spider is a giant arenae of the family Lycosidae, and like most spiders of its habitat, they are known to burrow into the ground and build a web. They seldom create one in open air. They have been found as far north as West Virginia, as far west as Western Illinois, as far east as Vermont, and as far north as Northern Ontario. This species is described as having bright orange, brown, and yellow ringed waxy legs with sparse coverings and dark hair. Their fangs are black but glint red in the light and are sporadically covered in thin white whiskers. Most of the spider is covered in short dense coarse hair colored with different variations of orange and tan intermingled with hues and wavering patterns of dark brown. The underbelly and undersides of the legs are a solid hickory color. When hiding or hunting, the spiders may rise up exposing their underside to hide among the woods or lay on their backs in the dirt. Once undetected, the spider flings into action to overcome their prey. Those skill predators, they avoid nocturnal detection, crawling under debris or into gaps after sunset. A fine powder covers these creatures which smell sour and moldy. It feels like chalk dust. This substance makes their forms clearly visible at night if under any light, reflecting bright blue. Here, southeast of Wannabe Lake, it has rained heavily for four days today however, it is clearly sunny and warm and time for this female Tumaltuin to find a new home. A large specimen she was ousted from her den after major flooding. The hunting was poor and she had outgrown the rock-filled dwelling so it was time to look elsewhere nonetheless. Most whipping spiders live near water sources as they are close to active ecosystems. Because of this, drowning is the number one cause of the death in the species. In fact, Most of these spiders perish in their adolescence and in their first den, if not from torrential raining and flooding, from predation, compression, or in rare instances, oxygen deprivation. Small young spiders with short shallow dens are at greatest risk by falling objects or activities of other organisms. Some of these activities may not squash the spider, but block and fill their den, trapping them inside. While they do not need much oxygen, if they are trapped for extended time and cannot dig out quickly, they too will perish. An oxygen-deprived whooping spider is slower and loses the ability to burrow near its expiration. The larger the spider, the quicker its end is met. Though rare, when these creatures reach the size of a raccoon, they are 80% more likely to survive these events. The size of a buck, the spider no longer fears woodland creatures its size or even smaller. She has also learned to endure flash floods and to cross waterways by maximizing her surface area, taking in more oxygen, and then relaxing. Essentially, she floats away. Hungry, she is eager to return underground. When between Danes whooping spiders are opportunistic hunters and scavengers, making a meal of whatever they can find or come across. Oftentimes, they are unable to meet their daily caloric needs, She has traveled several miles south throughout this rainy week, discovering a clearing ripe with fruit vines and ample vegetation, and a hill fenced in by trees with stream at its base. Now that the rain has abated, it is time to build. With pliable soil, she uses her oversized legs stubby claws to rapidly move the mud, soft dirt and loose rubble. It is common for relocating whooping spiders to construct new dens after heavy rain in warmer months. Enjoy or court spells, they may take over other animals' burrows. Larger spiders kill those within and widening the nests for their needs. Ranging in a diameter of 8 inches to 5 feet and in length from 1 to 12 feet whooping spiders dig tunnels at downward angles. The constructions widen and deeper as they go and may break off in additional tunnels and rooms. Some chambers are used for refuse, egg laying or food storage and the largest and deepest room is reserved for sleeping. Once she has finalized the design of her dwelling and moved the excess dirt outside, she will begin to generate webbing and weave nests, ropes and structural strands for three distinct mechanisms. Though her most basic trap only takes a day to create, her only project is to take several weeks and a lot of energy to complete.
1: While she works, the whooping spider utilizes her edgeway web. This trap is located at the end of her tunnel, no more than one foot from its interior, stretching from top to bottom. In the center of this web, there was a hole just big enough for her to navigate through without damaging or tangling herself in it. Meant to catch small and unintelligent creatures, mostly insects, unobservant prey may find themselves stuck in the spider's net. If they are significantly smaller than her, They may be disregarded completely and left to aimlessly struggle. If they are appealing, they are shredded by the serrated edges on the creatures Chalicera and eaten. After hours of diligent work, the pieces of her flinging web are finished and in place. A more innovative technique, thick bands of webbing connect from end to end and to pivotal parts of the tunnel. Vibrations from movement that occurs near them, as well as direct contact, alert her to prey's size, activity, and location. When the edgeway web's catchings are few, the whooping spider waits patiently for an alarm to spring. When a wandering rabbit bumps into the string, she runs up the burrow halfway and bolts back towards her large tunnel in net. Webbing created by whipping spiders are stronger and more elastic than an average arachnids, which they use to their advantage. Acting as a rubber band, the hardy strands fleeing the spider quickly to the tunnel's mouth, where she surprises and overcomes her prey. There, she latches on and traps with clawed feet, fighting the rabbit's speed with many nimble legs in a paralyzing bite. The whooping spider is named after this tactic, as when they launch themselves out of their burrow, it creates a loud whooping sound. Victorious, the arachnid drags her kill back to her web, where it is prepared for consumption. Larger, stronger prey may be injected with her paralyzer multiple times to still them. All are wrapped tightly and completely in silk. She may begin the process of eating right away, or save it for later. If both of these hunting methods are unfruitful, the whooping spider may employ a third method, enticement. This intelligent arachnid may tear up fresh or old prey leaving a trail of morsels strewn down her tunnel. She may also gather vegetation at night, decorating her domain with fruits, leaves, branches, and sometimes garbage and bones. Appealing to hungry scavengers and foragers, many are drawn into the spider's web. Once prey enters the tunnel, the arachnid flings herself at it or waits for it to draw nearer, where she can deftly attack from the shadows. Before starting any meal, the whooping spider bites her victim and injects a large amount of digestive acid into its body, which liquefies the interior and some of its exterior. While waiting for her food to disintegrate, she may pick off and eat small pieces. If prey stirs or she grows impatient, she will inject additional venom or vomit acid onto the body, hastening the rate it dissolves, but causing it to spoil and be inedible faster. Once she is satisfied with the catch, she sucks up the liquefied remains through hairs on her mouth and chelicera. These hairs deposit the substance into her stomach through veiny tendrils. It is once again spring, the whooping spider's mating season. This female has had a few suitors, though none have won her favor. A large member of her species, well situated into her complex, year-old den, she is not easily impressed. A break in the spring rains, a new intriguing specimen visits her burrow, a large old male. On his back, he carries a silken wrapped coyote carcass. It is tied down by thick strands attached to his abdomen and spinnerets, a symbol of his strength, skill, and affection. Hoping to make a good impression, he removes the gift from his back and places it just inside the tunnel. Still, she watches with interest. Respectfully, he flattens himself on the ground for a few moments, making sure he can be seen. He suddenly stands up quickly, waving his pedipalps and front legs in the air, stepping side to side, back to front, crouching and standing tall. He believes the brightly colored rings on his arms will catch the sunlight and be more attractive to her, and that she will see him as a worthy mate by his speed and finesse. If he falters or makes a wrong move, He may become her next meal as others have before him. Yet, this male has successfully wooed others throughout his many years. He knows the right steps and actions, and how to escape quickly if things go poorly. Flawless, bright, and imposing, he successfully wins her temporary affection. After mating, the female begins crafting a silk mat. She may also eat the male if he lingers in her den too long. Up to 50 eggs are laid on the silken blanket, which is rolled into a ball, placed on her back, and tied to her spinnerets and abdomen. As the female carries her young with her, her abdomen must be raised high to keep them from dragging the ground and coming to harm. This, however, does not hinder her daily activities, especially as females dig their dens wider and taller. After a few weeks have passed, the spiderlings hatch and crawl higher on their mother. Offspring remain on her head and back for a couple more weeks, until their fat reserves deplete. Now considered adolescence, the youth set out on their own, building miniature dens and seeking the smallest of prey. Unfeeling, the whooping spider cares not that her children have grown and are departing. She will eat or use stragglers as bait. Whooping spiders enlarge slowly over time, growing as big as age, predators, and their environment allows them, some even rising to be at the top of their local food chain. The maximum size these creatures can reach is undetermined, as they continue to grow throughout adulthood. Most carcasses recovered of this species are in the adolescent phase, which are about the size of an apple. Much larger individuals have been observed in the wild, as well as giant, abandoned burrows with hints of large arachnid activity. Within these hovels, the partially liquefied silken-wrapped forms of rats, vultures, dogs, deer, and human children have been recovered. The dangers of a whooping spider are easy to avoid. Being wary of traps, tunnels, and holes are paramount to avoid an encounter. Wearing gear that protects one from injections is necessary in investigating these nests and nest-prone regions. Harvesting of tamal web, and poison has aided in fey construction, research, and fulfillment of roles. As the population is good at reducing itself, fey involvement has been minimal in the introduction of this species. This has been a look into the life of a whooping spider. When more information is gathered on these intelligent web weavers, we will revisit them. Next time, the Order of the Ballyraven delves deep into the forest, searching for the source of unusual singing and frightening mimicry. What sings like a man, yet copies sounds like a bird? How can one ward off these beasts or see through their trickery? This and more on A Song in the Forest premieres April 29th. Until then, remember to care for yourself and those we share our land with. Good night.
0: And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Episode 3 of Forfin. Thank you for listening. If you, yes you, or someone you know, would like to help fund or amplify research and literacy on elusive Beasts, the Order of the Ballyraven is now accepting new members through the Ballyraven Patreon page. Next, we join the great elementalist Frosthand and learn the basics of manipulating fire, water, earth, and air. But first, we at CLEE would like to thank Ballyswog, Twigglesnap, and Ballyraven, Patreons of the Order, our new members DD, TT Carter Ross, Ronald Miller, and Daniel Berry and also listeners just like you. And so, thank you for listening to CLEE, your center for universal fake culture and entertainment. This is Woogie Niggle Twigglesnap, signing off.
1: Sponsored by Dial the Dice, a new fantasy board game where the dice follow your command. Early bird rewards in limited edition boxes, available only on Kickstarter, starting March 17th.